Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Presenting the very best panels, seminars, and other discussions concerning game design and publishing. This has been made possible by Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show. Episode 58. Moving Beyond Tokenism, Gaming is Other. Recorded at Metatopia 2014. Presented by Misha Bushyager, Julia Ellingbo, Ajit George, and Mark Diaz Truman. So we're going to start. This is Gaming is Other, Moving Past Tokenism. If you're not here for that, it's time to go. We're set. We're set. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go around really quickly. Uh, like in 10 seconds, I want each of you to tell me why you're here, what you hope to get out of this. After we go around to do that quickly, we'll introduce everyone, and then we'll start. So I'm not going to start with you this time. I'm going to start at the back. Uh, 10 seconds, buddy. 10 seconds. Brian Robbins, I'm here because I really uh, want to hear Julia's thoughts, especially I've never had a chance to hear her speak in person, so no pressure, Julia. That's fine. Awesome. <laughs> Hi, my name is Clayton. I'm just here to see uh, perspectives beyond standard fare. Sounds great. Uh, Brent, sounds interesting. I'm, <laughs> um, I'm Cheyenne. I'm an other Different perspective. Uh, I am Sean. I'm just here to learn. Mark, the plan sounded interesting. I'm here to learn. Sounds great. I'm Ben. Uh, as a gay guy, obviously, representation of minorities is something that interests me. So, cool, awesome. Hi, I'm Aaron. I'm here because I'm interested in the subject. Quinn Murphy. I'm here because I. Flutter around on stage, and uh, I care a lot about this. Awesome. Hi, Lisa. Just interesting to me as well. Cool. Yeah. Uh, as a designer, I'm trying to overcome the biases of growing up in an almost exclusively white uh, area. So, great. Uh, my name is John. I'm a software developer. I create programs that make game development easier, and I think it's important to get more voices into the gaming industry. Jay Treat, I believe gaming can be a tool for change, and I believe that inclusion is an important thing. I'm Ayelle, and I just want to learn, like, ground myself in the ideas of how to approach diversity without being insulted until I'm comfortable with it. Until you're comfortable, that's when you'll be insulted. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Krista White, I'm the co owner of a tabletop wrestling game company, and I want to. Learn about what I can do to make games more inclusive and better for everybody. Uh, Lisa Paddle, I want to do things less stupidly. Awesome. <laughs> I'm Sean. I actually was introduced to the concept of games other than my girlfriend, even though I'm a mixed race kid who kind of ignored it for most of his life, so I'm here to also learn. Hi, I'm Aubriette. I am here because I don't know what I don't know and I want to know those things. 
Hi, my name is Volkan. Uh, I'm researching game culture, and this is like really interesting and related to my project. So, you're really going last, buddy, so get ready. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Howard, and it's kind of interesting, so we're going to check it out. Awesome. Hi, I'm Amanda. These are awesome people, and I want to learn more from them. So, any panel will do, you'll be there. <laughs> to a great extent. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Clark Valentine, and then the more I write and design, the more I, I know that I need to learn. I'm Chris, I'm here to learn. I'm Patty. Uh, the last one was, that I was at was pretty good, so I figured, why not come back? Claire Nineman, um, I'm here representing another uh, game project that's about gamers, so learning more about how we can be diverse and respectful, I think uh, totally good, the best kind of fit for our project. Yeah. The pressure. The pressure. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Thelmo, uh, sorry, it was game design, also I missed this panel last time and regret it, so no more regrets. Okay, who is, who can we not talk to? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Why are you here? 10 seconds. What do you want to learn? I'm hope to learn. Just learn. Period. Excellent. We'll <laughs> learn something, I guarantee you. <laughs> uh, I'm Emily, and I want to learn more about design better. I'm Tara, and what everyone else said. <laughs> Say something different. I'm Cameron, and I, I was about expatriate for a long time, and I'm very interested in um, how uh, sort of uh, external cultures uh, work in our subculture. Cool. Thank you, everyone. So, who are all of you? Hey, it's really great to see all of you guys out here. Um, it's been one year, I think, from the original Gaming is Other panel. Uh, it was well attended last year. And I'm thrilled to see so many people engaged and here supporting, interested, and wanting to further the conversation. Thank you all for coming out. Uh, my name is Ajit George. Uh, in my full-time job, I'm director of operations of a nonprofit called the Shanti Bhavan Children's Project. Within the community, uh, I guess I'm an advocate, community organizer, supporter, player, uh, and just deeply invested in making this community richer. Um, more complete and just just see it grow in a beautiful and engaging way. Hey, uh, I think Ajit really nailed something when you talked about the support here. Um, I was in a band in college, and it was really easy to get people out for your first show, really hard to get them out for your fourth. Uh, so today speaks well to this uh, this project we've engaged in that we have so many great folks in the room. Um, I want to especially call out Quinn Murphy, who's who's back there, who, who writes really eloquently about these topics. Yeah. And last, last year we had a, yeah, last year we had Julia sitting right in front of her, all kind of like, why are you down there? So the same thing here, where next year Quinn will come up and we'll have some other wonderful minority designer in the audience who should really be on the panel. But, yeah, literally Mark's room to me and it was like, all right, uh, uh, Quinn is the Julia of this uh, year. <laughs> he should be up here with us, so why is he back there? So, so grab him after this and he'll have more and exciting things to say about what we're talking about. Um, I'm, my name is Mark Dias Truman. Um, I'm mostly in this community a professional game designer. Um, I own a company called Magpie Games, and we put together a variety of different, mostly tabletop projects um, using all kinds of different engines, mostly like open source, fate, apocalypse world kind of stuff. Um, and uh, one of my big 
projects is to try to bring more minority designers specifically to this community um, and, and minority players, but with my position at Magpie, I can uh, do that work. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk about the way in which that work is done uh, to bring more designers to the, to the community. Um, I'm also a community organizer in my day job, so um, this is sort of like an interesting intersection for me of both those, both those sort of projects. Um, and it's really crazy. It's only been a year. It feels like 10 since we sat here, and I actually kind of opened up about this for the first time. Um, and I, I owe Roger the big debt for kind of agitating me to, like, take seriously my own experiences. So I hear in the audience, you say, I, you know, I haven't thought about this, even though I'm a, a mixed-race kid. That's, that's totally me. Right, it's like as a Latino game designer, I didn't have any conception of what that would even mean. And yet this week, this weekend, I'm like starting to feel like, oh, I have this game that's rooted in my experiences and my culture and my my people's history. Uh, and I feel like that's something that we have to work on together. And so, really starting that process, and, and really excited to have you all join that process with us. But it's one from which we're learning too, and that's really important for me to say as we open this up. Uh, Misha Bushager, um, well, my player, not really designer, but I, I like the I like understanding about design, um, and I like being able to see myself in design. And so it's it was important to me, especially once I started my kids, to make sure that when I brought them into the, the to the world, that they were seeing themselves reflected in the world too. And so um, just uh, trying to get make it so that they are feeling included. As much as everybody else is doing. My name is Julia Ellingbo. Um, I'm here because I'm, I write games, and um, in my day job, uh, I am a human resources manager. And so, like Mark, um, I see a real intersection between my day job and uh, how I think about uh, the inclusion of people of color and and any other that you can define as an other. Um, in in games because that's what I think about a lot just working in a food co-op um, and I see similar challenges in the food co-op industry because uh, uh, cooperators really like to think of themselves as um, socially aware and engaged and um, and special and part of a special group of people who are participating in a special economy. And I see that in gaming as well. And in turn, I see a lot of the same sort of, we want to be diverse, and we just don't know how to do it. And, and yeah, and it, it, sometimes it's, well, we don't have a problem because we're so equal. We figured it out. And, and then other people are over here going, I don't feel included. So, so yeah, um, but, but that intersection of, of my, my daytime work and, and gaming is, it's becoming more and more apparent to me. Awesome, thank you. Quick question. How do you guys want to handle questions? Do we want to leave it towards the end as we go along? Usually we do. Okay, great. So if you guys have questions, please hold on to them. In about 15 minutes or so, we will open it up. Great. Um, I want to start off with saying that this isn't going to be a one-on-one on gaming as other or, or issues of race and gaming mostly because um, a lot of the material we have online and available for viewing and reading at uh, your leisure. Uh, there's a gaming as other uh, subsection to uh, Whitney Bolton, who is uh, the fifth member of this team, uh, integral member of the team, but she's not able to attend today. 
uh, off of her website. She's archived a lot of our panels and conversations and text, and you can read a lot of that. Uh, today we're going to talk about gaming as other and going beyond tokenism. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, actually I'm going to probably speak the least on this mostly because uh, the individuals to my right have a lot more experience and knowledge. My position is mostly uh, how I've seen it done well uh, and how other advocates like these individuals here have done it well for uh, people of color. Uh, I'm, what I'm going to do is just think of, talk about briefly about um, what we're talking about in terms of tokenism. When I say tokenism, uh, there is sometimes this idea or thought that uh, a person of color uh, may be hired or put into a game or uh, you know spotlighted uh, only because of their minority background, uh, but in a way that is not empowering, but almost a checklist, a, a, a saying that an acknowledgement that I. I've included the black person into this game, or I've included a, a minority member into, um, you know, a panel or, or an organization without empowering them. Uh, rather, in almost a, a role where uh, I would say maybe uh, like a shield or or a a, a um, uh, just a, just <clears throat> just for the sake of their ethnic identity, as opposed to uh, their contributions and empowering them to. Uh, further uh, their role within the community, within the company, within the game. Um, and there are ways uh, to avoid doing that. And I, I know that's sometimes a challenge. And like game designers or, or writers have talked to me and said, I want to include uh, minority characters, but I'm worried about it seeming like I'm only writing a token character. I'm only writing a, uh, a stereotype. Or I'm hiring this person, but I'm not giving them a position of power or, or, or a place uh, of authority. Uh, you know, what do I do? How do I approach that? Um, what I'll do is I'll just I'll just basically speak to a very specific experience myself. Uh, there is a great photographer, artist, uh, designer by the name of J.R. Blackwell. Uh, she's not here today. Uh, she reached out to me uh, a couple months ago, uh, and she reached out to myself and uh, Whitney Bilpon and asked if we'd be willing to model uh, for artwork uh, for a new game. And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds great. You know, I told me a little bit about it. And we talked about it in, in brief. Um, and then she said something that was very important to me. She said, uh, you're just, you're not going to be a character that's, you know, at the back of the book uh, behind all the other characters. Your characters will be the spotlight characters. When somebody opens that book and sees you two represented in this book, you're going to be the characters that every player wants to play. That's how the costuming is going to be done for you. That's how the photography is going to be done for you. That's how the layout and presentation is going to be for you. Everything is going to be oriented to make you the characters, the priority characters that are central to the story, central to the RPG, the signature characters for this RPG. Why is this important? Well, all of media tells us that the priority is always given to the white person. Um, that if you are a minority, you may be the humorous sidekick, you may be uh, the friend who gives support in time of need, uh, you may be the person who gets killed off quickly, whatever tropes, but you're, you're, you're flavor, you're an extra, you're on the side, you never have the limelight, you are never a party, the story is never about you, you're just an addition to the story. And that is disheartening. That, that is not only disheartening, it infiltrates our, our psychology, the way we view ourselves within the games, within the story, how we approach the community. Uh, at times, 
when I've approached the community, because of this media representation and thoughts on it, I felt my place in the community was on the side. Maybe I'm support. Maybe I'm there to help. Maybe I can pitch in. But I'm not there to lead. I'm not there to be the star or central or important. And so, um, in the small effort of a placement of art and the priority it's given, uh, it avoids tokenism and gives power to a person of color and shows, as an example, to others engaging with this material, why this is important, what a new art, what a new image would look like. Well, so I, I think that um, this discussion is difficult and often under under discussed, or we, we avoid it because um, we, we're talking about a 201 topic, which is when you sort of come to the conclusion that yes, okay, I, I have the staff of people, or I've hired all these artists, or we've done all this work, and yeah, it's all white people, right? Like Rob Rob Roll has a great story about doing all the art for misspent youth and sending it off to his editor, and the editor who was an Indian woman, I think, yeah. said. You know that this book is all white people, right? <laughs> like it's, you, that's, you, that's a choice for that intentional. And Rob being like, oh my God, no, I just asked my friends to send in pictures and they're all white people. Right? Like that, that's great that we understand that problem, right? And we sometimes fight with people about that problem and we can convince ourselves like, once we get over this really basic hump, then cool, everything will just work out. But the reality I think is that it, it actually gets harder from that point. That, like, once you've crossed over that barrier of like, hump, huh, these are dominant cultural forces that I'm engaging. Um, as a man, right, I think, okay, cool, sexism is a thing. It's kind of baked into our culture. Just being aware of that is not actually going to, like, get me off the hook. Now I have to engage that problem. Um, and so for me as a developer and as a publisher, one of the things that I've, I've had to sort of deal with, right, is the difficulty of bringing in minority voices. And it's not to say that minorities are more difficult, because I think it can be very easy to misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that minorities come in with fewer supports, fewer experiences, fewer options than a lot of the white writers that I might want to hire. So for example, um, I, I published the Fake Codex. If I wanted to publish a Fake Codex that featured Ryan Macklin, Lenny Balsera, Brian Engard, uh, just like every month, I could probably convince Brian, Lenny, and Ryan to do that. I could be like, guys, every tenth of the month, you're going to send me an article. It's going to be great. I'm going to send it to Amanda. She'll edit it in about three days, since you've all done this about a billion times before. And then I'll publish it, and that'll be the whole thing we do. That's awesome, right? And they're wonderful writers, and they're wonderful people, and it would go beautifully. But I'd be missing a really crucial opportunity to reach out further than that. But when I reach out further than that, what I have to grapple with is that the people that I'm working with probably don't have 17 fake credits to their name because I'm bringing in new people. They don't necessarily know what it means to be a professional writer. Maybe I'm their first try. Maybe I'm their first go as being a professional writer. And that's something that I think goes as much for women as it does for other minorities. This is like other in every sense of the word, right? Is that as a, as a group of people who have been traditionally denied capital and human capital experiences and investment, expecting us to show up and be like, well, look, I've, I've had all these experiences. I'm ready to go. That's not how this is going to play, right? You need to, as the publisher, as the designer, recognize that the responsibility you're taking on also includes the responsibility of covering that lost investment, right? So with the Fake Codex, we started a mentorship program specifically for female writers, actually, because I, I, I do almost a little better with minority writers than I do with female writers for fate. Um, and so we're reaching out to female writers, both writers of color and, and white, white female writers, to coach them through the process of what it takes to take an article from zero to 2,000, 3,000 words of finished material. And that's our commitment 
to avoiding this kind of tokenistic, well, I found Quinn, who's an amazing writer, and he wrote something, and I'm good. I got my one black person in for the year. Done. Right? <laughs> Mission accomplished. Box checked, right? Um, and, and, you know, I joke about that, but, like, we just did a big survey. I don't know if I told Quinn this. I was going to email him. But I just did a big survey of the first five issues of the Fake Codex. And if I had to say what the best article is, according to our fan base, of the best article we wrote, it's Quinn's article by, like, no question. There's, like, a clear number one, and then anything else everybody has written competes for, like, two through ten. Right? So I can easily go and be like, look, black writer, great article on culture. This is amazing. I am totally done. I have fulfilled my, my contractual obligations as a white presenting Latino. Done. Right? But that, I think, would miss the point. Right? And so I think what we're trying to talk about here is not just do you want to include minorities, because we're assuming if you're in the room, like, cool, that's great. We're hoping, we're hoping the answer is yes, wonderful. But I think I really, Julian, I really resonate on this point of being like, so you're a liberal, awesome. That's that's great. That's actually kind of irrelevant. <laughs> we don't care about your politics. <laughs> we don't. Like, we just want to know, like, are we welcome, right? And it pains me that sometimes some of what we might consider more conservative groups actually do a better job of reaching out to these people. So the you first... Well, yeah. The, the, um, I didn't mean to interject, to interject but um, the uh, first African-American congresswoman, Republican, Mormon elected in Utah, and you don't have to like her politics. But, but she's black, and she's in Congress, she's and she has the power. She's successful, and she did something, and at the very least, we can respect that. Yep. And so I think that when you look at like Bobby Jindal in Louisiana, right, like Bobby Jindal drives me crazy on some political spectrums, but I can't deny that the Republican Party has therefore made some room, however small, for viewpoints related to his community. And I think that for me is sort of like this, this separation, like not, not to say we should totally be those people, but to, to separate the issue of your politics from your inclusion. Because somehow suddenly being like, I think about diverse things, I engage with diverse cultures does not also mean I also give power, power to people who aren't like me. And one of the killers of that is I totally walk around and think I want to support people who remind me of myself. Like when I was younger, when I was starting, whatever, that's a natural inclination. But it's just like if you're a white man, a white, you know, man engineer, maybe like my dad, right? He's going to try to go around and give, give power to other white man engineers, not because you know, my, my dad is not a racist. He lived on the Navajo Indian Reservation until he was like 20. Like he's well familiar with minority cultures, but he just, there's a language of that experience that's going to resonate with him, right? And so I think the challenge is to move beyond that language of experience to a language of inclusion that really offers everyone an opportunity to get on board. And that involves giving up power, which is tough to do. And also, um, one of the things that it's... There are different challenges. Just because you're reaching out, like if you're reaching out to a woman to, to for example, to contribute to, to the Beat Codex or something, there's often there's a different set of challenges going on in the background of their lives. Like, okay, this person might not have the resources to just, I got 20 hours to devote to. No, I, I got two kids. I can't just, you know, drop everything right for 20 hours. You know, I have a full time job. I can't just, you know, and, and often um, white male writers or white male designers have a little more of those resources. They have, based on you know, traditional roles, okay, my wife's going to watch the kids for a few hours while I go work on this. And often women don't have that same luxury. 
of, you know, okay, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to be mom for five hours. No, even when you're sitting there trying to work, dad says, you know, you know kids come says, you know, uh, mom, I'm hungry. Can I have a peanut butter? It's like, dad, it's like, So even, so you have to, there are different glitches. So often, you know, if you reach out to somebody, you know, they, they say no the first time, you know, ask them, you know, okay, well, what can I do to turn that no into a yes, you know? Is it, do you need, you know, do you need more time? Do you need, you know, oh, you know, oh, we'd love to have you come here. You know, oh, well, I can't do it. It's like, okay, well, you know, is it, is it childcare you need to arrange? You know, is it just, you know, a little assistance with, with hotel room? Like, the, um, they, they're doing a, a scholarship program with the IGDN where they, they were like, you know, okay, you would like to come, you would like to learn here, you know, you would like to get your stuff out in front of people. Hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put you up, you know. We'd like you to be here. We'd like your game to get out because we'd like to see that diversity reflected. So yeah, there's a different set of challenges, and understanding that there are a different set of challenges is often the first step um, to, to in, increasing what you want, uh, what diversity you want to see reflected. And just because the first time you ask is like, you know, my, my first instinct might be, oh, I don't like it. You know, it's like, okay, what can I do to make it easier for you to be to, to do what I what I would like for you to do? Yeah, and that's something that also don't call me. <laughs> so don't call us my angry, angry buffer. <laughs> that brings up a, an interesting point that when you, okay, so you have your token person, um, you actually don't get uh, the voices, the, the diversity of voices that you think you're getting by having just that one person. Um, so, for example, I'm sure that Misha and I have a lot of things in common and don't always agree on every single thing. And I think all four of us probably have a different way of thinking about this issue and may have different solutions. And you get four solutions in one workshop, one panel. Um, and we aren't a monolith. Yeah, and we should not agree. That was one of the things that we, um, so we did the, uh, Game of Other does a podcast pretty much uh, once a month. It's about a 15 minute length one. Yeah, so plus. Of, uh, it's yeah. Right. I forgot, yeah, I'm the channel manager there. Yeah, I forgot. It's <laughs> uh, YouTube, go to uh, Indie Plus, Gaming is Other. Um, so the, the last one we did, we were talking, and somehow it, it, it managed out that the three panelists that day were three black women. That was intentional, actually. Oh, okay. And, and so this was right after the whole um, uh, kerfuffle with, um, uh, Shonda Rhimes and the article in the New York Times and, and, you know, that driving home some of those tropes and why those tropes are so frustrating to get over. It's like, okay, you know, you, to disregard somebody's righteous anger as just, oh, throw away, you're an angry black woman, you know, we don't have to take it seriously. And so the whole time we're giggling through the, 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 the and we're calling each other angry black women. Just because we're calling ourselves angry, don't mean you're here to call yourself angry about that. Just say, but and and so as we're signing off, both of us are going to work in our fairy costumes, um, so we can be magical black fairies for for, for Halloween. <laughs> it's just one of those, you know. Okay, can we be more trophy? Um <laughs> But. Some of the um, some of the other things we were we were, we were talking about is like um, so seeing representation like um, we were talking about it in the media so um, Sleepy Hollow is an excellent example of we're going to spotlight a minority character as opposed to just 
she's in the background. She's not the set, you know. Abby Mills is not the faculty friend. She's not the psychic. She is just as much front and center. This show is about her as it is about that Ichabod. And so there are so few shows, especially in psychic. Yeah. Yeah. There are so few shows where, where uh, especially when in sci-fi and fantasy, where that is the case. Um, you know, usually if you see a minority character, it's oh, it's Uhura. She's the comm operator. It, she's not on the away team every time. Oh, it's it's um, uh, 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 Do- uh, Michael Dorn as Warp. You know, he's obviously supposed to be, or he's Jordy LaForge. He's he's often in the the the, uh, uh, the engineering room, but you know, occasionally you might see him as a spotlight, but not often. And and so, especially for to see, usually you'll see a black character or a woman character, but to see a black female character be that is so rare and so special that it's amazing to see. And you know, I like that. That's me. Well, that's it's also interesting because those characters were at that time at every level uh, pushing things. So Uhura was pushing things just to be black on Star Trek. That was whoa, crazy black people, right? And then for next gen, you have a black engineer. Right, and then and then you know Klingons, which are another like welcome on the Enterprise, right? And then we go to Cisco, who's a black captain, right? So, but I think one of the things about that is is that we're never going to be satisfied with something less than equality. So it's not like well you got seventy five percent, so why aren't you happy, right? Because well yeah we got yeah agreed that was a necessary step, but like we're hoping to keep going with that. I I'm not a show for. The Sleepy Hollow TV show. I just really, really like it. So I just want to bring it up again <laughs> um, because I think it does something so well. It's, it takes the next step that the, the Star Trek franchise did. That not only do you have um, a, a, a woman of color as the as the, um, the the primary at every level in that show, there are characters who are so diverse. So you have secondary characters who are diverse. You have extras. The extras are diverse. And I've never been to Sleepy Hollow. I don't know if that actually is what that town looks like. Um, but, you know, you had the police chief who was um, Orlando Jones. And now you have um, uh, another woman, a Latina woman, who is the police chief. And um, But you've also got a police force that, that is, is fairly diverse. You have an Asian guy who can't be in or something. You have the boyfriend who's, you know, also really hot. And, and yes, also on the police force. And, and, and uh, one of the things that I read about the Sleepy Hollow Riders is like, okay, we're going to make our main cast, and we're going to make sure that they are as diverse as possible. Because oftentimes what happens is, okay, we're going to make our main cast. Oh, crap, we don't have any diversity. Now we're going to fill in all the... the just, no, we're going to do the other way around. We're going to make the main cast as diverse as possible. And then we're going to kill as many white people in the random episodes as possible. So it's like, okay, it's, I, that's a pretty sure that's one approach. It's pretty cool. I like it. Um, but yeah, so, so, yeah. I was going to um, just jump in. I, I wanted to like tie that back into, uh, you know, into actually looking at the tokenism and moving past beyond tokenism. Um, you know, I had an interesting conversation with Fred Hicks uh, at Gen Con, and actually something amazing came out of that. Uh, Fred stopped me. He had read a uh, piece that I put together for tour on uh, gaming and uh, race at Gen Con. And uh, Strix and I were there, and, and Fred and Rob Donahue were talking to me. And Rob's like, I, I love this piece. It was great. Uh, Evil Hat's trying to do this. 
but you know we put out this open call and we didn't get uh, you know the kind of people we wanted. It just didn't work out. We we, we tried to get people, but like it, you know people didn't come forward. Um, and I was like Rob, uh, I, and I was actually it was Fred who said that. So I said Fred, hey, uh, you just can't uh, do an open call. Evil Hat does a lot, and you guys are great, but you need a direct invitation. If you do not directly invite a minority member or a, community, a woman uh, for a position, they will often self-select out. They have an, uh, imposter syndrome runs very deep within these two groups, and they believe they're not the person wanted. The person wanted is the white male designer, the white male role model, the white male organizer, whatever uh, you know position. It's the white male that is the default. So you have to do direct invitation, and you have to do mentorship. And, and this time again, I'd like to spotlight Mark, and not to embarrass Mark, but uh, Mark does this better than most anybody I know. Uh, Mark will basically tackle you and wrestle you down to the ground and force you to do it, uh, <laughs> kicking and screaming. Uh, and and uh, Whitney Beltran is a perfect example. Um, he's like, Hey, come to uh, this game design uh, workshop at Gen Con. And she's like, No, 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 I'm not going to game. I'm not a game designer. He's like, No, you, you should come, and let me persuade you that you should come. And he was relentless with her, much in the same way he was relentless with her to get her to write the LA City Guide for Urban Shadows. She's like, I remember I was at India when she got an invitation, and uh, she she sends me an email going, I don't think I can do this. I'm not a writer for this. This is not my thing. And I was like, Hey, Mark believes in you. You should do it. But in her instinct as a Latina, she she was like, I'm not the person. I'm not the person who should be writing this. And Mark, I think, instinctively understands this and goes, let me directly invite you and let me persuade you, you that you are the person that I want for this position. And then let me mentor you. And that's the next step. And, and Mark's worked with me where I'm on the – and once again, I have another example. Like, I'm like, oh, Bangladesh, what are you talking about? I don't do this stuff. Like, I have no clue. I'm the wrong person for this. And – Mark's like, let me work with you. Let me be patient with you. Let me understand like all the different challenges you have and encourage you and be supportive. That is what is needed in many cases for women and members of the minority community to feel empowered to get into positions of authority. It, they, it, it's not that they, um, we need a, like, a, like a special ride, but we need an invitation and we need uh, the resources that have been instinctively and institutionally given to the majority. And those will help, uh, I think, tear down the barriers of tokenism. I think uh, part, part of this is trying to figure out whose responsibility this work is, right? Is it, is it our responsibility as the minority group to find a way in? Is it your responsibility as the dominant group if you're in that? And this goes, I think, for any... It's interesting to talk about this because in Mexico, like... The dominant groups and non-dominant groups are just different, but it's the same same patterns all over the whole world, right? It's like, you know, the dominant group is in. Okay, so like, whose who's job is it to make that different? And if we think about it as the work of charity, like, well, I the dominant group will throw my wealth at you because I have so much of it, and maybe you'll pick up some scraps and learn something. Then it's insulting to everybody involved and not very effective. But if it's like, no, 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 this is my job as a member of a power structure that's not working, right, then, then it's my job to make that happen, right? And... And I think about the sort of phrase uh, and concept uh, like of I will not abandon you kind of work, right? Which is to say, like, look, I'm not going to ask you for something and then halfway through be like, ha, sucker, you just got to figure it out. 
right? Like my job as a publisher, as a designer, as a, as a GM is to say, if you want to play a black character in this game, I will not abandon you on that point. Right? I'm not going to just all of a sudden say, wait, you're the one who wanted to play a black character. Like, I don't know why you're yelling at me about the fact that your character has these challenges or this whatever. Like, we're in this together, right? You're introducing this to the game. You're introducing this to my company. You're introducing these ideas. I'm going to be there with you. And sometimes I'm even going to carry most of the load, right? So it's like, I'm not going to listen to you, Strips, when you tell me that you can't do this. You should just do it, right? And I was relentless about this point of, like, tell me who's going to write a better L.A. guy. If you have somebody, I will totally take them. But if it's not you, who's like lived in L.A. and around L.A. and understand the culture, then I don't know who it is. So I can get Ken Hike to do it. I bet he'll do some research. He's a real smart guy. But like, I prefer Ken to write Chicago because he loves it, and I want you to write L.A. because you know it. So that seems like a fair trade to me. And being kind of relentless about that logic, right? Because it has a logic to it. Oh, one, one quick thing uh, about the, the Fred Hicks story. Uh, what was great about that was... Um, it was a woman uh, listening to this conversation between uh, myself and, and Strix and Fred and Rob, and uh, she's a, uh, you know, a designer at, uh, with disabilities, and she overheard you know, Fred's conversation, and uh, she said, hey, look, I'd actually like to do this. And so she pitched him right there on the sidewalk at Gen Con, uh, and over the process of three months, worked with Evil Hat and has a contract now with Evil Hat uh, because of that conversation, because of these conversations. That we're having together. Uh, somebody heard it, felt empowered, felt wanted, uh, and felt an opening. And so that's, that's something that was great that came out of it. This is all really, really sweet. And I'm going to reiterate something that I've been saying in every other panel. It, it, the responsibility is so good, and I'm, I'm glad that we, we say it, it, it's everybody's responsibility, responsibility, we should do this. But let's be really honest, because at the end of the day, what how far is responsibility going to really take us? Let's really look at the, the benefits of moving past tokenism and being inclusive. And there are the financial benefits and the marketing benefits, and you get more people coming in and you get you get more involvement. Um, I find that I'm, I'm in a challenge right now at work where I would like to start doing a diversity and inclusion initiative where we would start doing, just looking at our, our policies and, and our marketing and every aspect of our, of our organization um, and to look to see what we're doing right and what we're, we're not doing right. And I was, uh, I was warned from the start, and I already kind of knew this because you see this. This is just anywhere you go. It's not going to work if you don't get um, buy-in at every level. And in order to get buy-in, you really have to appeal to what people are interested in. And I think we have a group here. You all are like, how do I do this? Because I want to feel good, and I want everybody to feel good, and I'm so happy for your good feelings. What's the benefit? How is it going to uh, benefit me? And I can tell you that it's actually it's such a good thing because it does really benefit you. You are It's, it's beyond just like your good feelings. Um, as a designer, you're going to get a new audience, and with a new audience comes notoriety. And um, and sometimes if you publish games for money, it brings money. Um, <laughs> and um, I just don't want to let let go that that if you're here to to not just make them games because you really like it, but because you're here to make a living, that here's an opportunity for you to increase your um, your your profits. That diversity 
and inclusion has a really huge ROI. And let's not let's not set that aside. Let's let's have the good feelings also make us a little bit of cash as well. So we have 15 minutes for another question. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go to questions. This is how it's going to work. Uh, if you have a question, raise your hand. We're going to start at the back. We're going to ask. You're going to you're going to ask a question. I'm going to repeat it so everyone can hear it. We'll answer it in about a minute, and then we'll try to get everyone as quickly as possible, starting from the back, going to the front. Okay, so I'm slowly going to the back, so if you have a question, get ready. <laughs> Raise your hands now, everyone, if you have a question. So you're going to lose your opportunity now, passing you by. So what are some tools that you guys would recommend that are good for community organization to help people reach out and build networks that we can use in order to build a community of support for people that need resources to be successful. I think there are very few tools or technologies that will do that. I think that's a function of relationships. And so I think the best tools I use for organizing are Skype and email um, and phone numbers. And I think it's about building a real network of people who care about this shit and like work on it. So I think that um, we need to do that work and it's something we're talking internally about how to do more of. I want to add to that uh, from a nonprofit point of view. Um, we get a lot of people who donate money, and money is really important. But time is also incredibly important. Our volunteer base and the people who uh, give their their knowledge and their expertise and skills to the field are invaluable. If the same applies to gaming, we need game designers who are successful, uh, publishers, uh, organizers to start mentoring, teaching, and directly interacting with communities that we are trying to recruit from and build new leadership thought. So give your time and give it wisely and give it honestly, give it genuinely. Uh, don't phone it in, uh, make a commitment and stick to that commitment. Even if it's a one month commitment, six month commitment, whatever it is, but do that part as a mentor, as a, a guide, a leader, whatever. Go to them. Uh, don't wait for people to come to you. Um, and and also the communication and, and networking. And when you're doing those things, do a little bit of education if you have that, that experience. So, for example, when I have employees who are interested in applying for um, promotions or for jobs that are uh, in, in a different department or uh, would be increased responsibility, um, for most people, no matter their, their age or how long they've been there, um, I put out an offer that uh, before they formally apply for um, a position that I'll read their resumes. And um, I do that for two reasons. I found that people were applying for promotions who had dreadful resumes and dreadful writing. And, and I thought, well, gee, I'm the HR manager. I'm in a position that can give you a few quick and dirty uh, tricks. It makes my job easier because then I can actually read your resume without wanting vomit. And um, uh, what I've also done is I, um, I've had people come to me asking for jobs, just basic jobs. They want to get into to co-ops or they just want to change their job and they know that we're an okay employer. And um, I have one person uh, right now who has applied for several jobs at our co-op and um, has had a couple of interviews and hasn't quite yet been successful. But I, I see that he could work where I work. Um, he just needs some grooming. And so after he didn't get um, one job, I actually uh, went out to lunch with him. And we first talked a little bit about games. 
Uh, he works at the local FYE, and so we both had established that we were really into games. And um, and then I said, all right, I'm going to explain to you why you didn't get the position. And I'm going to be very frank with you. And I went over where his missteps were, and I gave him suggestions. And I said, you know what? You might apply for another job at the co-op, and you might not get it. Um, but I'm going to encourage you to continue to apply, and I'm, I'm here as your advocate. So... Um, taking that extra step sometimes without making it that, you know, I like you because you're black. Don't do it that way. Do it because you recognize that somebody's got something that you really want to see um, used and, um, and believe in them and uh, show them how they can be more effective. And it may turn out that they become so effective that somebody else scoops them up, and that's a really good thing, too. Great, we have 10 minutes. If you have questions, raise your hands. Back row, I'm passing you. Questions, raise your hands. Actually, mine isn't a question, but I just want to reiterate what um, Ajit was saying about reaching out to people because um, I'm the co-founder of a game publishing company. I'm the one we did the research and put the paperwork in, make it a corporation with the state, and I don't consider myself a game authority. Um, and I have a very hard time promoting my own game design work. Uh, and because, first of all, I don't have a lot of time as the family manager, like Misha pointed out. I'm the one who's responsible, even though my partner is awesome and tries to really step, you know, he really steps up and does 50% of the work. I'm still the one who has all the organization stuff in my head and knows what's going on, and it's my responsibility, and I'm the one who has to take time off of work, and there are all of these things that go on that are behind the scenes. And I also have imposter syndrome because I self-promotion is not something that I, as a woman, am taught in our culture is cool to do. So getting my name out there as a co-founder of this company is really tough and I still need to be invited. So please, 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 please invite people, be proactive about your invitations. Because although somebody looks like they might be a top dog, you don't know what's going on inside their own internal conversation. It's pretty clear that so the first time I got invited to do this, was like, hey, we're doing this panel about gaming as an outsider in the dynamic group, and they're like, we'd like you to come in. I'm like, who wants to listen to me? I'm like, then I like stop the club, and I'm like, I've been gaming for more than 20 years. I think I might have something to say. But that initial instinct of, who's going to do, I'm just, you know, yeah, there, there is a really big amount of imposter syndrome among women and among minorities, and especially among minority women, there's a super thing going on. So yeah. So it's a small company, Golden Goblin Press, and we're tending to work with a small number of authors for Call of Cthulhu scenarios, and I don't know if the company will last past Oscar getting a good full-time job, but we'd like to diversify. Talk to me. Sure, so let me, let me tackle that. I think in a short sense, short sense, you make incremental steps, right? So when it came to the Fate Codex, I would have loved to have my first issue be 
like all minority designers and developers and women, and that was not realistic because I, I just that I can't reach out to that many different people all at once. So what I would say is just start small. Like if you're going to publish five scenarios next year, set a goal. Don't just add like diversity. Set a goal of making two of them from women or minorities in, in a real way. And then if you get one, hey, cool, great. And if you get zero, reflect, my friend, what, what went wrong. But if you set no goals and you don't really put any effort in and you don't wake up in the morning and make it happen, I can tell you it's not going to happen. Right? So it's about setting manageable goals to start to make progress. Oh yeah, I was going to jump in with a, a quick comment. Um, some of you know that I'm like hyper aggressive about uh, trying to draw people in, uh, build this community. Uh, I, I will recruit very heavily. Um, one of the reasons I believe in doing this is that we have shared knowledge. Uh, and this shared knowledge both as a community is very valuable as a whole, but it's also very powerful for women and minorities. Uh, I think you just look around you, look at the people here we have institutional knowledge that can be shared and can be used, especially to, to, to level the playing field for those who don't necessarily have resources or have access to those resources individually. Um, and, and there's great advocates within this room. So Brian Robbins, I'd like to just you know, uh, you know speak to him. A couple of years ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, he just reached out to me. He's, he'd been reading some of the stuff I said. He's like, you know, I've done some design work. Uh, this is something that uh, I believe in, I'm passionate about, but it's not where I'm at right now in my life uh, as uh, a designer myself. But I would love to mentor you and support you. I will always make some time for you. Uh, whatever you need, I will be there for you. He directly, he didn't invite me specifically in terms of like he had an opportunity for me, but he offered his knowledge, his mentorship, his skill sets to help. This is the power of the community. We have so much information. Uh, I think Fred uh, and Rob have been doing docs about like how to get published and what's the process of publishing. Uh, Mark's written stuff. Uh, a lot of people here have put out information, have open, openly shared their institutional knowledge, and that will help tremendously so that women and people of color do not have to reinvent the wheel or try to figure out you know, the arcane process. So be open, be communicative, uh, reach out to each other, help each other, support each other. We have five minutes to uh, My name is John. I've been a programmer and a gamer for a while, and uh, I was trying to create uh, my own game and was annoyed about playtesting it. So I wrote some software that would automate the playtesting and uh, figure out any statistical anomalies with the game. And uh, I turned that into my own software company this year. Uh, it's a startup, so I'm here promoting that. Five o'clock, Otrera, check us out. Um, with that program, one of the things I realized that was valuable about it is that it could help bring more voices into the gaming industry by making the development side of things easier. Because right now, development uh, is very complicated and difficult. And one of the things that makes it hard to compete with bigger companies or, or people who are more affluent and have a lot more time, and, you know, which skews towards certain demographics, is the fact that uh, it, it is expensive, it is time-consuming doing the playtesting and the research. And I'm really hoping that uh, my company and our product can help with that side of the access problem. And so I guess that's sort of a comment. The question going along with that is, what are other things we can do to uh, get in people who have ideas, who are interested in being part of the industry, but feel like the curve's a little too hard for them? You know, there isn't really any way for them to get started. Examine your process, how you're doing that, how you recruit people. 
um, what one of the things that, that I look at in job descriptions is we very often will write a job description that um, is seeking the God of something, of anything. And you want some, you're looking for somebody who has like 12 years of experience and some arcane, esoteric thing because that's what they're doing. And the fact of the matter is you have to, you're going to have maybe four people who know how to do that. Um, so, for example, my, my, my husband is um, an SQA analyst, and um, he's found that he, he just happened to get into the field just being, being transferred out of a department where everybody um, was very toxic, and found someone who kind of took him under his wing and showed him how to do SQA. And um, there aren't a whole lot of SQA experts out there. Um, so when you're looking at, you have this, this thing that you want somebody to do, make sure that you are not making the, the job description actually not fit what you really need. That if you want to have somebody who maybe has one or two years of experience on basic foundational level of what you need, that you may be able to take the time to show them the ins and outs. And if you have someone who's a computer science major, they can probably figure out a lot of the other things. You, it's not a matter of lowering the bar because when you are then interviewing and courting and seeking people, you're looking for those other criteria that to see if they're going to be able to do the job. Um, but looking at your process, looking at what exactly are you looking for, and don't just expect to find the god of, of every single thing that you want. Yeah, in, in organizing, we talk a lot about the difference between cost and value, and I think it really points to the problem of a lot of solutions I see uh, majority dominant folks bringing to these communities, which is when you want somebody to do something, don't lower the cost, raise the value. The lower the cost that makes something, the cheaper it sounds, the less worthwhile it sounds. If I come here and I say, you won't have to do anything. All you have to do is be there as a black person. I'm good, right? Then you're like, what, what, what's the point, right? Why am I doing this? But when I raise the value, when I make it clear, like, dude, here's what I want from you. You have a whole set of experiences I don't have, right? I'm willing to meet you halfway, but I need something from you and it's real then that value is significant. And so as a community, we need to raise the value for minority designers, not lower the cost for them. We need to make them understand that they're welcome, that they're valued, that there's something real on the other side of the barrier, and then we'll have more people crossing it. Just a quick uh, jump on what Julia said. Uh, as, a, as an example, Paizo just put out a developer position, uh, and their their like list of uh, you know requirements was a mile long. It just looked absurd and ridiculous, and you're like, who the hell can do this job? Uh, and then one of their top people, uh, a woman by the name of Jessica, I can't, I can't remember her last name, she just wrote uh, a kind of a companion piece on her own blog going, I don't care if you're a first-year college student, I don't care what your background is, it doesn't really matter. If you are interested in this job, if you're a woman, a uh, person of color, whatever, apply. Just give it a shot. Apply, go for this, believe in yourself, give it a chance. Um, yeah, yeah, because we need you. And she was trying to say that Paizo is looking for uh, greater diversity and to not be, you know, daunted by the long list of uh, requirements. And Paizo could have probably done a better job of just maybe making those requirements more sensible and more realistic. But uh, she at least uh, kind of bridged that gap and encouraged uh, Whitney to apply for that position. And we'll see whether it happens or not. But I think that was a very important intermediary step. On the flip side of that, you can't win if you don't play. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone.
Thanks to John for, for moderating us. He's amazing every time.